the, the idea for some people that you could be on the right side of a cosmic argument is too enticing to turn down, you know? The, the idea that you could possibly be certain or even feign certainty enough about mysterious things and put to rest things that keep everybody else up at night, uh, gosh, that's really appetizing. Steve Doherty is the author of a brand new book called Experiments in Honesty, Meditations on Love, Fear, and the Honest-to-God Naked Truth. Uh, Steve's a pastor in North Carolina. He's a counselor, and uh, his book is artsy and clever, but not in a weird way clever, like really honestly uh, smart and thoughtful. And it's all about this idea that we would be much better served if we would remain curious about why we do the things we do. And so experiments with honesty or experiments in honesty is all about just trying things and seeing what happens. And when we do things wrong, we notice those things without judging them so that they might invite us to real change. I enjoyed my conversation with Steve. It's always fun to talk to a fellow pastor who kind of gets it, uh, gets how hard pastoring is in this day and age. And uh, I really enjoyed his book. So without any further ado, enjoy my conversation with Steve Doherty. Well, friends, I am here with Steve Doherty. Um, but you, gosh, you wrote this book, it, it Experiments in Honesty, Meditations on Love, Fear, and the Honest-to-God Naked Truth. And I am a Christian, and I am a pastor, but I always get nervous when, um, you know, Christian books come out and meditations. But you, I could tell right away, just by, just by your chapter titles, that your book was going to be a book that I loved, because they're sort of not snarky, but they're clever and, and like, oh yeah, I like that. Um, so I want to dive right in because honestly, like when I opened it up, the opening parable, I loved so much that I showed my wife, Mary, and I read it to her and she's like, oh my gosh, where's that from? So I want to read it. And then I want to ask you, uh, why you chose that particular parable. Is that fair? Mm -hmm. All right. So Please, yeah. truth and lie went for a swim. <laughs> After a while, Lie got out of the water, put on Truth's clothes, and ran into a nearby town. Unwilling to wear Lie's clothes, Truth also got out of the water and chased Lie naked. As Truth reached the town limits, he was turned away for being naked. Lie, of course, was let right in, looking enough like Truth to go unchallenged. So tell me about, where'd you find that and why did you choose that? <laughs> Uh, let's see. I don't know where I first heard that, that there are several versions of it. And yeah. from what I can recall, uh, somebody, somebody said that that was based on an old Roman proverb, Got it. whatever that is. And, uh, I, I, I loved the, the versions of it that I had heard just as much as you seem to. And so yeah. I just trimmed it down and I thought, what a, what a great, but like, I didn't know who to dedicate the book to, you know, to my wife or yeah. to Jesus or yeah. I don't know. So I said, <laughs> to my I'll best just friend, be Jesus, to my best friend, Jesus. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I just thought that I like the idea of setting a tone and yeah. 
I, I, I think it did. Well, I, it sure set the tone uh, for me. It actually made me trust you and, and like, okay, here we go. Here's someone that mm. thinks with nuance. Here's someone that um, is going to take me on a journey. Uh, so, um, and I love the title actually, and I suck at titles. I'm terrible at titles, but I love <laughs> yours. Um, experiments and honesty. So tell me about that journey. And, and you told me before that this book really came out of largely came out of a series of reflections or devotions that you wrote for your church. So talk to me yeah. about sort of the idea behind experiments and honesty. Um, somebody asked me in the church, um, when I, because when I, the devotions didn't have this title. And so when I, when I finally, uh, put it into book form, uh, and titled it, he asked me, why would you invite people to experiment with honesty? And, um, and because I see a lot of it as uh, sort of that opening parable as yeah. a kind of nakedness, um, yeah. I just, I, I, as a pastor, I want to be careful what I, what I demand that people do. If it's uh, if it's going to uh, require a view of vulnerability or anything, you know, people yeah. people snap back into the, the last safe, comfortable thing. Oftentimes, so uh, I'm often saying, "Hey, why don't you just why don't you just try this?" You know, as I counsel people, why don't you just try this? And then I also um, I'm really uh, have been over the years drawn to those um, TV shows that ha are like social experiments, like what would you do? Yeah. When people when, when people don't know that cameras are rolling, and um, and th those are those are often it seems like they're often entitled like experiments in honesty or um, or whatever you know how how honest are people that that sort of thing and so I like the idea that it, there was uh, uh, as as artful as I hope that the book is that it feels like it's got a a, a, a science in its soul a little bit that we're we're poking and prodding each other and just being honest about what we see. Yeah. I mean, again, for me, it was even the title is an invitation to go on a journey. And it's not um, even what I hear from you right there. It's not this moral lesson of trying to get it right or trying to convince someone of something. But try this um, because probably, right, I mean, we end up living a lot of lies, with, even without knowing it. And as I thought about it, as I was reading your books, like, you know, um, how, how much am I walking around looking like truth, but, um, but really, really not, not being, um, and honest, I mean, so I mean, it's such an interesting word too, because I, you don't just mean telling the truth. So, right. um, talk more about, um, you know, like give us an example of some of the experiments that you invite people to live out. Yeah, the, so that's a it's interesting timing. I just had uh, I, I'm counseling this couple, um, and I, there's just really no way forward. It doesn't seem, um, and she's been asking questions, and he's been asking questions, and so she she had said uh, in several different ways that she felt controlled and she always felt controlled by her parents. And she, so she knows this about herself, that she's resisting this, this sense of being controlled by somebody else. And, and she asked to schedule, a, a several meetings in, in the, in the coming, this, this I think is going to connect here in a second. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> so yeah. I'm out on a list. It's good. It's good. Uh, uh, so she, she wanted to schedule several 
meetings to, uh, you know, bounce off ideas and accountability and all that. So that's the word she used to be accountable, to make good decisions and all that stuff. And I said, of course, we want to put people around you so that you can make wise decisions and all that. But why don't you also, and I didn't use the experimental language specifically, but that is the spirit of it. Why don't you entertain the idea that what you're actually doing is, um, uh, is you're asking people to control you. You're asking pastors and, and people you trust to make decisions for you, which is exactly what you're resisting hmm. in, the, uh, in the other case. It's just you're so used to it. Now you've got a positive spin on it. And that was really a big deal for her to entertain that what her, her true motivation was, was something other than what she um, even had admitted to herself. And so it's not a judgment. Um, to me, honesty and that uh, and, and tinkering with uh, this getting really, really honest with yourself, it's, it's not so much judgment, condemnation, as much as can you observe? Can you, um, I, I, there are people who say uh, paying attention to what you pay attention to. Are you paying attention to what you pay attention to? Yeah. Um, r- truly observing best you can what's actually going on so that you know, uh, so you, you know what you're doing. So that you can actually, uh, uh, with integrity, when you talk about I follow God or I have faith or I love you or I did this or that, that you know who you're, yeah. who you're referring to. Yeah, and I hear that and I kind of think, um, uh, gee, I mean, it's like uh, we, can, we can get so judgmental of ourselves and of the things that we do that maybe go against what we think we believe that we shut down any ability to actually change because we've immediately judged the behavior instead of Uh getting curious about just what you said, like instead of getting curious about, well, why do I keep, you know, why do I pour that third drink? I mean, I, oh my gosh, like I, I don't even want it really, but I keep Mm -hmm. doing it. Or why do I, I mean, that's a little pejorative, like everyone talks about drinking and sex as our two big vices, but you know, like, why do I want to be a pastor? Why, why was I driven to help to, to, to become a pastor? And is there anything in that, that is, you know, unhealthy, negative that I need to get curious about? Um, Well, I think that the curiosity gets stunted. Um, as soon as, because here's what most people would do with what you, what your, the questions you just asked. Yeah. Um, I drink, I, I poured a third drink. Oh, great, I'm an alcoholic. Right, or, right. Uh, oh, great, I'm going to turn out like whoever. Or, uh, screw them for judging me. You know, it, it, this, this mm-hmm. made up, other, you immediately have to figure out how, how will I, you know, render some sort of judgment. And then what's attached to that immediately is some sort of verdict. Mm-hmm. And then what do you do? Well, none of that's really observing. That's trying to get all the way through the case. And it's really hard to be honest about something that you're feeling like you're supposed to render immediate judgment about. And and frankly, Steve, I think Christians might be on the leading edge of bad at this. Definitely. Yeah. So and, and and so it probably it's it's filed under holiness or, you know, righteousness or making sure that you're, you know being wise and all that stuff. And I, gosh, there's value in all that. I, I, I wouldn't throw it out. It's just that we jump to it so quickly that it's really, it's really a way of not seeing. Yes, I totally agree. It's a way of remaining blind mm-hmm. and sort of deflecting, right? I mean, because I mean, I think I, and I, I think, 
uh, Steve, one, like one of the reasons why Christians are the, at the leading edge of this is because we have such a f like a fear of getting it wrong and of being labeled uh, bad or sinful, or it's been so drummed into us that that we have to be something other than ourselves. Um, that yeah, the judgment is right there, and the first judgment is usually us of ourselves. And so it's no wonder that we get stuck um, blaming and judging others. You know, it's just such a, it's 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 such a predictable and 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 sad uh, journey that we go on. And I'm I'm there too. I mean, it's yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so so tell me about your uh, your journey of becoming a pastor. I saw, I read that your your dad was a police officer, and you wrote a little bit about that and about the effect that that had on you. But what what led you to become a pastor? Um, the the short answer is um, like a lot of pastors that I know, I had no idea I was going to be one. Um, you know, my wife and I were looking for a wedding chapel, and we left wet. You know, we we did an altar call, and that it just, it just <laughs> threw everything upside down. So, um, and it wasn't long after that, that I, you know, the, the sense of community and meaning and purpose and, and all that stuff, uh, having an identity, um, all it, all of that got answered for me early on, kind of, kind of the church at its best. Um, my own vulnerabilities, um, immediately tended to, for better or worse, just all of that stuff lined up right away. And then immediately in that, in that early season, um, you know, I've, I've, told stories and made presentations and done stuff like that my, my whole life. And so it was pretty early on that I was put in a position to speak into the congregation. Um, and you know, the tradition I was in that we do communion every Sunday and there was always a little meditation that may or may not have anything to do with the theme or, you know, the sermon or whatever it was same song, same chords, make, but make it sound different every Sunday that Jesus died for your sins. Here's some bread and here's a cup. And, and, uh, so I, I got, you know, I would get to do those and there were a minute and then there were 10 minutes and then pretty soon I was, you know, talking to kids. So it was this really, um, like the, like a fast pass of going from, I, why am I in church to, uh, I'm, I'm now a voice, uh, to it. And I'm teaching people, not so much as one that had it all figured out, but as I refer to myself as a lead learner. Yeah. And uh, and then a youth minister quit. A good friend of mine still. Uh, he's the he's now he's the lead pastor at this church I work at now. Okay. And uh, he quit, and uh, they hired me. And I, you know, I didn't go to seminary. I didn't have any of that. I just had a bunch of relationships and had logged a lot of hours. So yeah. they hired me. And uh, now suddenly, like it's my vocation. And uh, so that was 2001, okay. and uh, so it was youth and young adults, and then, um, so so yeah, it's this weird. Like I got asked the other night, like what what? How did you know when you were called? Well, I don't know. Um, I don't. I'm not even. I'm not even real sure about callings. It was just, um, I can't, uh, It was almost like uh, like where to put my foot next was lit up, and I stepped there, and then. Like I've got the Michael Jackson video in my head. Like imagine, <laughs> imagine the square lit up before he stepped there, you know. And, and so, <laughs> um, oh, Simon says your feet. Uh, and, and so it was nothing super. Uh, it didn't. I, it doesn't sound very super spiritual, but it was just I kept putting my foot in the next place, and pretty soon I was uh, helping people. 
yeah. come to understand my understanding of God for better or worse. That's how that happened. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I think mine is similar to that. I never thought I was going to be a pastor. Um, but, but honestly now it's been almost 25 years. I can't imagine not being one. Um, but I never thought I would be one, uh, never, ever. Um, so, so were you young? Were you a, were you a kid or how that worked? Well, I, I was, um, so I grew up in the church, but I really, and I never really rejected it, but I really never accepted it. I, I mean, and it meaning, um, I, I prayed the prayer. I received Christ into my heart. It was real. Um, but mostly religion for me was, uh, trying to, um, not feel too badly about the ways in which I was rebelling, which was very true, uh, high school, college. And then, um, there was this communion service oddly when I was 21 years old, where, uh, for the first time I felt the, the very visceral, uh, feeling that God liked me, like not uh, loved me because, um, you know, I feel like that was in God's contract, <laughs> you know, like that exactly. didn't even, that didn't even <laughs> help me to hear me that, that God loves me. Okay. That, that's so, uh, unoriginal, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, but, um, and I, so it, it, it was a, it was a very personal transcendent moment for me where for the first time we're all probably most of what I felt before that was, was some form of judgment. I felt affection. I felt like a, like a sort of a joyful, you're fun to be around. You're good to be around. I want to be around you. And that, um, that really changed. Um, so I am one of those people that had sort of a moment, you know, it wasn't a long drawn out. I mean, it, well, it really was a journey probably, but, but that moment was, um, was what sort of compelled me. And, and I was actually, so it was the summer in between my junior and senior year. And I was working at a Christian camp. And so after that summer, I just, I went back to college and decided I wanted to be, I wanted to be a youth pastor. So, um, wow. I went to grad school and that's what I did. So that's awesome. Yeah. That's a great story. Yeah. I, uh, you, you, you brought up that I, I talk about in the book that my dad was a cops, yeah. but the, the, the funny thing for me is we, when we were, so I made the joke that we parked temporarily and left wet. Um, that was a big moment for me at this church uh, of, you know, my then fiance and I looking to get married at a place. And we actually went to two churches that day. And the second one we went to, they were just really welcoming and inviting, did an altar call. My wife was really touched. She went forward. I went with her. She was an atheist. I was an agnostic. Hmm. Um, we got baptized. It was just this whirlwind and confusing. Uh, but it didn't really transform me. It was really transformative for my, for my wife. And I'm not making a doctrinal statement about baptism. Right yeah. there. I'm just, yep. I'm just saying it was just like, Hey everybody, I got baptized. Isn't that weird? Should I drink less now? Or <laughs> nah. yeah. And yeah, but, but, uh, uh, this guy gave me a book hmm. and, uh, he said, I've never loaned this to a guy who didn't cry after he was done reading it. It was this little short book by Brennan Manning. And, it, um, because we were talking about grace and I didn't know what grace was. So there was uh, about, about a week and a half later, the book sitting on the coffee table and I'm watching uh, some show on TV and it's a rerun. And so I, I didn't turn the TV off. I muted it. 
and uh, I look at this book and I'm like, well, it's pretty thin. I'd probably knock that out in half an hour. So I mute the TV and I, I read this book and it's this parable about grace. Yeah. And when it's over, I was touched by it. It was a really pretty story, but you know, but I did, I wasn't crying, you know, so I'm thinking I beat the book and, but I'm, it's, it's, it had this effect of really making me think, well, this is just not an idea I've ever heard before yeah. about, you know, un- unmerited favor and grace and love, all this, all this stuff. And I look back up at the TV and the show has changed. Apparently I was watching, it was like shark week or something. I don't know what it was. <laughs> um, but whatever it was, it was remarkable that the show had shifted to what was now on the screen because there it is muted, this black and white image of Jesus with his arms open right at me. Mm-hmm. And this just this electric feeling of, I, I like what you said, it wasn't so much love, it was like. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's, I don't have a duty-bound affection towards you. I'm, I'm just, I'm for you. Yeah. And I'm with you. And that was a real game changer. But here's the funny thing. That, I mean, that, everything was different after that. I became the biggest damn Pharisee you ever met. Yeah. Because what what I was suddenly drawn to is I am now included in something and I get to work the door. Oh, uh, yeah. And because it was about power, and that's why we got to be careful with with young people on fire for God because they don't they haven't worked some of that stuff out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was I was uh I was a Jesus cop. Mhm. Uh, you know, and I liked the idea of people changing because of my influence and all that stuff. We could go on and on, but, but well, actually I wanted to ask you about that as it relates to, um, you have a interesting quote, which is about conversion. And I think mm-hmm. I'm trying to find it here. Yeah. It's, um, cop and criminal, um, convert yourself love others and watch the world heal. This is a high confident view of the power of love and the conviction that what's true rather than what's forcibly pretended will save us. I thought that was beautiful. And it made me think of like, we just in the evangelical world anyway, we feel such pressure to convert people or to get people to think differently, believe differently. Um, and it does kind of feel coercive um, and colonial. So how do you see, like maybe expand on that quote, how do you see that? Well, I, I, th- I think something that we all know if we're, willing to, if we're willing to have the thought is that we don't convert people. Right. Um, we convert their performance, but we, you can't actually change a person. Yeah. So we know that that's true. I don't know anybody who would say, no, that's false. If I, if my influence can change, can change the heart of somebody. But when they change their behaviors, we, we feel relief. Mm-hmm. Look, they're, look, look, they're different. They're mm-hmm. better. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think it's just, um, it's, it's being honest enough to realize that you can motivate people to perform differently in front of you if you let their performance change how you treat them, your disposition toward them, all of those things. So, and so that's something I, you know, I'm given to hyperbole, but I really think the church might be the chief uh, de- uh, deception factory, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. <laughs> hypocrite factory, because not, not for Ill, uh, Ill intent. I just, I think that people want to belong so badly. They want to be close to others so badly that if you say, all you got to do to be with me, thick and thin, 
meals, laughter. We'll, we'll go through everything together. Just, I, I want you to, to walk on your tiptoes. Just, just up off your heels. Then that person will walk on their tiptoes with you. Now, they'll go home and walk flat-footed, but you just, you just laid out the terms. And then you can turn and say, yeah, everybody I tell to walk on their tiptoes, they do it. I, I'm really changing people. Well, you're, you're incentivizing duplicity. People yes. will become something else in order to stay close. And God help us if that's what God is like. Right, which I think is is uh, what was so compelling to me to you about this affection, you know. And Brennan Manning, I love him. I've I think I've read everything that he ever wrote. Um, I think he coined the phrase "I was seized by the power of great affection," you know, because mm-hmm. affection is not about changing a person. It's about saying, oh, "Like just you, I, I like you. I like being around you." Um, and you don't need to change. You don't need to behave a certain way for me to like you and want to be around you. But, but I think most people, I mean, what do you think? You're, you're a pastor, Steve. Like, what do you think most people, even Christians, maybe especially Christians, um, what do you think their motivation for following Jesus or reading the Bible or following, you know, and, and, and I know this is a little bit of a leading question maybe, but answer it as honestly as you can. What do you think most people's motivation is? Do you think it's like to be, to, to belong in a group or to be accepted? I mean, what do you think? Well, the, I would have to unspool your question quite a bit. Like you, even, <laughs> even the way you phrase it, yeah. why do you think people follow Jesus? I know people that don't use that terminology. Yeah. They, they say I'm a Christian right. or so, so why do people identify at all with Jesus yeah. or, or the, or the title Christ? Well, let's be honest. We're, I, I'm on the East coast. You're, you're on the, the North coast. Yeah. I mean, we were, we were kind of born into this thing. Yeah. Um, so there's, we have to be honest about the, I, I think Bono called it the geographic lottery. A yeah. lot of us, like, this is what we were born into. And so even our atheism is a Christian atheism. I don't know anybody that prides themselves on not believing in Zeus. So right, right. The, 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 the water we're swimming in is this. Then it just becomes like brand and intensity and, you know. So, so I know you know all of that, but I'm just, I want to be thoughtful about answering the, a complex question. I think a lot of people want the identity. I, I actually have a, a Catholic background and the, and Catholic, the Catholics that I ran with in Ohio, you could stub your toe in Jesus Christ and GD and whatever. But if you say something about Catholicism, you're going to get your butt kicked. Mm, yeah. Um, because that was the center of the identity for a, for a lot of the the people I grew up with. Yeah. Um, and so that that identity piece is uh, belonging to a thing is you know it's it's the same part of our brain that wants to fly a flag and wear the right jersey and yep, do all yep. that stuff. And we're we're that's just part of being a human. Um, when the the idea for some people that you could be on the right side of a cosmic argument is too enticing to turn down. Yeah. You know. The, the idea that you could possibly be certain or even feign certainty enough about mysterious things and put to rest things that keep everybody else up at night, uh, gosh, that's yeah. really appetizing. Yeah. So, so, but we, gosh, we've got to be, we, 
as a pastor, that means I got to be really careful not to sell the things that we'll settle for under the banner of following Jesus, Christian, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. because the, Jesus bid us come and die. Yeah. Well, the hell with that. I don't want that. Right, right. <laughs> I want somebody that's going the other direction. Yeah. So I, I think, uh, it, you know, I was just reading in Matthew uh, the other day and have been kind of recaptured by Jesus only calling one of one person Satan ever, and it was his best friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the con- the context of that is so fascinating because he asks Peter, uh, "What's the word on the street?" And Peter gives a uh, a great doctrinal answer: "You're the Christ, Son of the Living God." Mm-hmm. So, like theologically, it was airtight, but it's you barely get down the page, and Peter is chewing Jesus out for saying that the Messiah will be self sacrificial. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm I'm struck with this idea that Peter had good doctrine but really poor praxis, you know? Yeah. Because he he thought this was a way of getting out of pain, yeah. getting out of ambiguity, getting out of uncertainty, all that stuff. Well, it's not. Yeah. Man, I, I I'm gonna need to replay that whole paragraph because uh, it was so good. I think it is enticing to have the illusion of certainty and to have the divine be on your side, no matter what, like if there's a way of finding that out for sure, uh, without any doubt. Um, and, um, so, okay, so let's, um, and let, let me say one more thing too there, because I, I, I can imagine your listeners, I can imagine people close to me, your listeners probably doing the, the, the next smart thing is to say, well, what, what he's talking about is just total relativism with a cross on it. And mm-hmm. I, what I'm saying I think that I, at least I'm trying to say is what the apostle Paul said, who came from certainty into an uncertainty, who came from a precision and a well-informed, articulated tradition into saying things like, I, I pretend to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. Yeah. And, and so I'm not, I'm really not trying to be this postmodern, you know, just be nice to people and pray to Jesus. I really do think good spiritual practice behind the Messiah is being led into and through our own blessed ignorances. And all we'll have left is uh, collaboration and, and self-sacrificial love and trust. And it's very un-American, but <laughs> I, I, I think it's better. No, I'm with you. I mean, and I, I'm, I'm tracking totally. Uh, you know, I think I, I didn't coin this, but I really believe it, that the opposite of faith is not doubt, it's certainty. Yeah. Um, and I think the more defensive we get about doctrine reveals, the more we just have an iron grip on that need for the illusion of to, 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 you know, to make sure I'm on the right side. And yeah. I, I, I think that needs to put to death and they need to be put to death as well as, um, and, and I think fundamentalism can look like the, you know, Bible toting pro-life flag waving, big church going, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, Republican voting, but it can also look like the Prius driving, you know, yep. the, I mean, fundamentalism, uh, can be on both sides of the extreme. Absolutely. Um, yes in both sides of the aisle for sure. And yes. so, you know, I think, I, and I think the cycle of birth, death, resurrection, I mean, that's the journey. That's the journey of the Christian faith. 
Um, mm-hmm. And so we need to put certainty to death and allow it to be put to death and, <laughs> and feel the pain of it when it, when it does, you know? Yes. Yes. And before we put it to death, I think we should observe it. You know, like when you, yes. when we yes. live in such a great time, when we've recently discovered that uncertainty registers all throughout the brain as literal pain. Oh, wow. So when you don't know something, like anticipation, the, the thrill of not knowing something is what makes it work. When the dog catches the car, it doesn't know what to do. Yeah. So yeah. An- anticipation brings a lot of excitement, but it can also, that uncertainty is really uncomfortable. It's re- it, so it, and not just in a metaphoric sense. It's literally in your brain registering as pain. Well, yeah. so what's, what do you need? Relief. Yeah. And any answer can bring you relief. Yeah. That's dangerous if yeah. we don't know that. So before we put it to death, we've got to recognize that we have something internal that works against our best interests. That's good. Man, that's good. Man, that's- okay, uh, Steve, just a couple more questions. One, what are, you, what are you reading these days? What are you watching that is inspiring you, giving you hope, creativity, um, and it could be, you know, in any field, could be a book, could be TV, could be film, could be, uh, a Bible passage. Um, mm. what, what is sort of inspiring you these days? Uh, I've been, I've been listening to a lot of wisdom figures, um, recently. Um, these, these, this moment we're in culturally, um, is really bringing out the hypocrite in me because I keep thinking I can provide better answers to get to help get the people around me through it. Uh, but man, it just it, you can find any argument you want to on the internet or whatever. And um, Richard Rohr says that op- uh, opposition uh, only creates more of itself. Yeah. And uh, I had to make sure he was right about that for the last two years. Good lord. <laughs> He's right. <laughs> yeah, I tested it, um, and so I'm I'm trying to sit at the feet of uh, different wisdom figures, um, which is probably relative, but I, I consider him to be one. So I'm reading a lot of his work, uh, rereading it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm doing a uh, Krista Tippett is just wonderful. Her yeah. life experience and the way that she comes at things um, is very inspiring to me. I've been doing a lot of a lot more enneagram work. Yeah. Uh, and recognizing that I have, I you know, like I think my book is probably a a testament to fours. <laughs> Are you a four? I mean, do you want to yeah. say that? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure I'm a four or five, and so, yeah. um, uh, and so my my book would probably reinforce that to somebody who knew what they were looking for. <laughs> um, so so really looking at that, um, I'm uh, I'm rereading some stuff from the mid aughts. There's a book, um, it's really important and so accessible. Um, mistakes were made, but not by me. Hmm. And, uh, it's about the power of justification. Hmm. And I like that it was written before the moment we find ourselves in. Um, but gosh, it just really helps understand that human beings are justification machines. Mm-hmm. And so we, we have a story that we choose and then we, we make decisions and then we justify those decisions because of the story that we've chosen. So, yeah. of course, of course, I'm a good person and that decision was good. How could I make bad ones? I'm, I'm a good guy, you know. Yeah. And, uh, man, it's been super helpful for marriage, politics, et cetera, et cetera. So, cool. uh, and then I, I was a little late to the party on Arrested Development. Oh, yeah. Gosh, that's funny. 
you know, uh, I haven't seen it, but a new season just came out. A new season just dropped. Um, that's that's what that's what uh, that's what created the the buzz again around me. And I said, okay, I'll watch it. And I'm spending a lot of evenings just laughing, which is good. Oh, gosh, that is really good. Yeah, I I I'm on two different shows right now. Um, for laughter, I'm watching Seinfeld again. I'm not just like I, oh, Kramer. Wow. It kills me, and uh, it shows my age. But also, I just I that it's so funny. Like that mm-hmm. is. But on the other end of the extreme, I just finished the last episode of the second season of of The Handmaid's Tale. Oh wow! And, That's, oh my gosh! I'm hearing that it's just really, really heavy. Oh, it is so so heavy and dark, but. It's so compelling in terms of um, where um, fundamentalism goes when it goes really, really bad in terms of control. And it's like a psychological study in what people need to believe in order to do terrible, terrible things to other people. Like, like it's, 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 you know, like what were the, you know, slave owners or, or normal people in Nazi Germany who were sort of swept along by the, by Hitler's rhetoric and like, um, and, and, and this is what, this is what this, this story is really all about is, is how far can you take it? Uh, and, um, and to make people feel justified, like you were saying, in mm. doing some of these things that are just subhuman. Um, wow. And, All right. and, and acting in it is just so spectacular. I couldn't stop watching it. I mean, not much of a binge watcher, but it was like, you know, nine o'clock would roll around and then all of a sudden it'd be midnight. And I was like, oh no, no, I'm going to hate <laughs> myself tomorrow. But, oh my gosh, Handmaid's uh, Tale. That seems, uh, that seems compelling. I might have to check. And that's got, so that's Elizabeth Moss, right? Yeah, that's and she's the, brilliant in it. Well, I loved her in Mad Men, so yeah. that... So, okay. All right, I'll watch it. Now, of course, th- I think this goes without saying, I'm just going to say it to the listeners, right? Like, um, Handmaid's Tale is horrific in certain ways. And so just uh, <laughs> in terms of violence and, you know, so like just uh, don't just jump out there and, and turn it on without <laughs> if you're sensitive to those kind of things. And we all are and should be. But but if you're especially sensitive, uh, heads yeah. up. Heads very, up. very responsible disclaimer. Yeah. 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 Well, the Steves seem to be into yeah. it. I'm going to watch it. <laughs> yeah, totally. yeah. Well, you brought up Arrested Development. All of a sudden, I'm in, you know, dystopia, uh, Handmaid's yeah. Tale. But, yeah. um, okay, man, we are out of time. But I wanted to ask you, how can people get in touch with you? How can people get the book? How can people who are interested in some of the things you're saying and thinking uh, get more of what you're putting out? Ah, oh, that's that's great of you. So I've got a, a website that uh, I would, you know, I would really love for people just to go to and criticize. Like, do people even go to people's websites anymore? So, so if nothing else, go to it and then tell me what how I could make it something better. But it's stevedoherty.net. So Steve D A U G H E R T Y dot net. 
uh, and you can, there's some, uh, you know, I've got a blog there and, uh, 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 well, a now defunct podcast. I'm thinking about firing back up, yeah. uh, some, some cool stuff coming up, uh, that I, that I get to speaking at some local churches and I'm going to be in Nashville in September. But the main thing is, you know, I'm on, um, I'm on Facebook and Twitter, like a lot of people. And so I'm on Twitter, stepdoc, S T E P D O C, but the O is actually a zero. And uh, yeah, follow along. I'm 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 hopeful people will you know uh, talk about this book and and get connected to it uh, and follow. I you know hopefully we'll have some other stuff coming out soon. I'm I've I've just finished something on prayer. I'm hoping that we'll have legs um, and some other stuff too. So yeah, that's great. So I'm gonna put all that on the show notes, everybody. SteveDoherty.net. Also the link to his Facebook page his Twitter handle. I'll also put the link to his book, Experiments in Honesty, Meditations on Love, Fear, and the Honest to God Naked Truth. Again, Steve Doherty, but it's spelled D-A-U-G-H-E-R-T-Y. And uh, the book is really well written, and it is really a compelling read. So absolutely gets um, five stars from me, and I would say get out and read this book. Uh, everybody. So um, thanks, Steve. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat. I feel like we, if we had a couple more hours, we would just keep going. Um, so I, I, I appreciate your taking the time and being on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, man. This was great. Cool. Hey friends, thanks so much for listening to this good word. If you love this podcast, there's three ways that you can support my work. One is by jumping on Patreon, patreon.com slash this good word. You can become a patron at various levels and get lots of good free stuff, including free tickets to any live events that I do, signed books and other stuff. The second way is to share your favorite episodes via Twitter and Facebook. Uh, email, however it is that you share content. Let some friends know that you love it. And then third is to go on iTunes and leave a rating or a review. So thanks so much, my friends. We are dust and breath. We are limited and limitless. We are human and holy, and we are in it together.